Greetings, Earthlings. Welcome to Voices from the Real World. Profile Theater is a theater company located in Portland, Oregon. Profile Theater centers the season around a season-long featured writer. Our best artists help us see. And at Profile, each year, we use a different writer's unique perspective as a lens that helps us see our shared world in new and surprising ways. Community Profile is an affinity space built around the structure of a free writing workshop. Participants in Community Profile meet, write, support, share, and bear witness to other people who may have walked a mile in their shoes. In Community Profile, we feature writers who have won awards and had numerous books published, as well as writers who are making their first foray into expressing themselves on paper. The result is writing that is singularly personal, provocative, powerful, moving, funny, tragic, beautiful, and that encapsulates the entirety of the human experience. What this podcast does is give those writers, those creators, a chance to share their life stories and their writing in a public forum so that we can celebrate and appreciate victories that have been won and challenges that have been overcome by people whose lives you may recognize or be experiencing for the very first time. With us today is one Ernie LaJoy. Um, and Ernie, Ernie, it's funny because uh, I ask all our writers to, to send me their bios. Um, and, and I sent uh, you a, a whole epic You did. Novel. You sent me a whole epic last <laughs> But actually, it was pretty epic. Um, and so, like, you know, I'm, I'm happy to tell people that uh, I have uh, known you in Portland for a couple of years now. Um, I knew you before you knew me because I know, saw you in place. And I have been <laughs> super impressed by your work. Oh, thanks. Uh, I saw you last year in uh, A View from the Bridge, um, a great Arthur Miller play, and I thought you were wonderful in it. Um, and uh, you had won an award, a Grammy Award, for playing the MC In Cabaret, yeah. In Cabaret. Uh, but, you know... My first experience of Ernie LaJoy was your play Under the Influence, <laughs> which was like the funniest hour and a half that I experienced in some time. And still, when I look back on it, I, I look back and laugh. Do uh, you want to tell me a little bit about that play? Um, yeah, that play, you know, the whole the whole premise of it is um, a satire of how capitalism markets vices to us. Um, and so it's it's. Uh, <laughs> It started as little mini musicals. I had written a middle a musical about coffee, and that was for like some workshop I was in. And then I wrote one about cigarettes. Um, and then I wrote this song, and I was looking through my song set. I'm like, oh, I have this song about alcohol. I could turn that into a mini. And so then I had this whole collection of mini musicals. But I like narratives and through lines. So I took those mini musicals, and I invented this character named Anita, who was originally I was writing for a drag queen. And it was Anita Cup, Anita Smoke. She would change her last name for each uh, as she traveled through these uh, mini musicals. Um, and then I realized that there was a lot of real true feminism at the heart of this piece and that it it would be better served by not having it fronted by a drag queen and have it have it played by uh, a woman. Um, and, uh, it just developed over a lot of time when I moved up to new, moved here from, from New York city to Portland, I had met Rusty Tennant and I started playing this stuff. He said, well, let's do it. I'm like, really? 
Okay. <laughs> um, and then a year later, we had that production going, and uh, I'm glad you saw it. I'm, I was really proud of that. It, it was, uh, and br- you said you had mentioned Brian DeMar Jones. He won a Drammy right. for playing the lead in that. Um, he was excellent. He was so yeah, it was good. like the role he was born to play, yeah. certainly. Yeah. Yeah. And it was great watching him grow into that role mm-hmm. because I didn't know him at all. And, I was, and, and he's a very methodical actor. He starts out slow and grows and grows and grows and grows. And it was just, it was, it was a learning lesson. I thought he was just phenomenal. Um, and, and Sarah Elizabeth, who was my Anita twice when we did the second run, too, uh, just great. Um, and if you're in other places, um, this sounds like this total innocuous show because uh, of the, the way we're talking about it. But it was actually um, – it's a bad, bad show. And we felt, <laughs> we felt bad for laughing at a bunch of those jokes. Oh, and, my, you know, my I, I invite every theater company out there to, like – Contact Ernie and get the rights to do this show. Um, but it's one of those that you want to be aware of your audience when you're inviting them to come yeah, see it. Not every, not every uh, theater company in this country is going to want to sing, do a show that has songs in it like You're a Nation in the Eyes of Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but Ernie, also, like in your bio, you had um, so you have a whole history in New York and you've been on Billboard and, and you've won a Billboard Awards. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, uh, can you give well, that, before, a brief version of all of that that happened? Well, I, I started doing theater when I was in college. But then when I left college, um, I started producing albums of my own work. Um, and so I was a solo artist, and I did three albums. And my third album, Better Days, won the Billboard Award for Best Unsigned Artist of the Year, um, which I was really you know, flattered by. Thank you. I still remained unsigned and relatively bitter after that. (laughs) (laughs) I was very close to funny, not funny. I mean, I mean, not to, not to be bitter about it, but this was the nineties. It was the late nineties when this happened for me. And, um, I had a and R reps interested in me, uh, Arista records and, and basically they didn't assign me because I was a queer artist, you know? Yeah. And even in, even in that era, if you were a gay artist, um, you were, you were like techno pop. You were, you were in, in George Michael land. Even that he was, he was still in the closet at that point. Um, you weren't, you weren't a jazzy poppy trying to be a Billy Joel type singer songwriter like me, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and you know, like I said, I have no proof that that's why I never got signed, but it's, it's, got it's, you. It, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> certainly, certainly you got on the billboard, you win mm-hmm. this award for unsigned artists. Mm-hmm. Um, how long did it take you to realize that you were you weren't going to get further with that? And how, and um, pretty immediately. I mean, in the late '90s, I was touring around and doing a lot of gigs for gay events, um, and that started to dry up. People started to stop hiring people because it cost too much money to do all that. And also, that was right when the world of music was changing, um, and. And everything was becoming digital, and even at that point, you recognize that doing CDs and putting out CDs wasn't is was very shortly going to be a not worthwhile effort as an independent artist. Oh, really? Um, when you uh, write musicals in general, are they as uh, risque and and kind of like pushed boundaries as Under the Influence was? Um, that was <laughs> that show was that show was an exercise of my obsession with writing puns. Um, uh, my new show pushes a different kind of boundaries. Um, it's not, it's not as edgy as that show. Um, but it's also a lot more emotional and it's about trauma. So what's it called? It's called the pursuit of happiness. Um, and it's a much more, 
I was going to say a much more normal narrative than Under the Influence, which which was a dream sequence weaving through all these different connected narratives. Um, this show is also because I'm just weird. Weird. It's very meta. Um, it's a show about six people. Um, do you remember? It was two years ago in 2018. There was a false alarm, a bomb threat in in Hawaii that people thought that a, no. a nuclear warhead was coming and they all got a oh, text message. And for 30 right. minutes, they thought they were all going to die. I do remember that. That is the launching point of my musical. It's six people who, at a farmer's market, suddenly realize that they're about to die. They confess all their secrets to each other, and then they don't die and have to live with the consequences of being honest. Well, what's, what's this first song that you want to talk about? Um, I thought it would be fun to play... Um, the this, this show that I'm working on right now, The Pursuit of Happiness, started and, – and this is goes back to like when I stopped doing my albums. I also had moved to New York at the time from Boston. And just for kicks, I auditioned for this thing called the BMI Musical Theater – Lehman Engel Musical Theater Workshop. Um, it's a pretty prestigious little group and a lot of famous musicals have come out of it, a lot of famous writers. Uh, 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 I'm blanking on name right now. I'll get back to that one. Um, people you know have come out of this and I'm – Oh, really? Yeah. Um, the, the guys that wrote Avenue Q came out of the show. Gotcha. Who now wrote Frozen and Robert, um, blanking on his name, uh, Lopez, um, Egot, uh, came out of my group there. Anyway, we were, um, and just auditioned for it because I had missed theater and I wasn't really doing anything songwriting-wise for my own album. So I auditioned for that and they, they accepted me as both a composer and lyricist. And they only do that a couple of times a year. It's usually lyricist. The whole goal is to pair up lyricists with uh, composers, but they accepted me as both, so I went in oh, as nice. both, and I did it both. And the first exercise that we had to do in that in that uh, program was write us an A A B A structured song, which is a very common structure in in theater. I'm very big on form, um, where the singer is singing the opposite of what they're feeling. Um, so I wrote this song called "A Perfect Story" for that um, exercise. That song has been sitting in a box for 15 years, and it became the centerpiece of this new musical that I'm writing. Um, and so we can play that. I, I have a version of me just sitting at the piano playing it. That sounds like a great idea. Let's go with that. What a perfect story. Beginning with hello What a perfect story from the go What a perfect story The middle was intense What a perfect story Such suspense beginning, a middle, and of course, an end. What a perfect story. It ended with goodbye. What a perfect story. 
Well, let's take a break right here. This is Voices from the Real World featuring Ernie LaJoy. Profile Theatre presents Paula Vogel's The Mineola Twins, a divinely funny comedy about America's culture wars from the 1950s to today. Well, you know, I, Mom thinks that conservatives just go around blowing up abortion clinics. <laughs> <laughs> and her imagination. <laughs> she still works, I take it, for the Planned Parenthood in Nassau County? Yes, I'm afraid she does. I'm coming, Myrna. I'm coming to find you. The Mineola Twins, written by Paula Vogel and directed by Josh Hecht, is available to watch on demand from March 9th through March 21st for members and non-members at Profile Theatre on air. Learn more and tune in at profiletheatre.org. And we're back to Voices from the Real World, featuring Ernie LaJoy. Right on, man. Is that you singing? Yeah, and playing. Holy smokes. Okay, because like... I, I mean, know. it's also recorded that like 18 years ago when my voice was, what a perfect... <laughs> and now I'm like, what a perfect story. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I'm thinking like. I just watched this guy play Eddie Carbone just like last year. You know, and, uh, and you know, and you uh, manifest as, you know, you beard, mustache, very Portland, Oregon, actually. You know, I'm like, who's this guy with the voice of the angel? <laughs> <laughs> well, Eddie Carboni was really easy for me to play, and for all the wrong reasons. It is literally my father. Oh, wow. Uh, my father grew up in Brooklyn in the 50s. He has that accent. He talks exactly like this. And, uh, when, and when I read that play, I, was, I, I, I had never read of you from the bridge before. I know, obviously, you know Death of a Salesman, you know The Crucible, you know the, the major Miller works. I didn't know that play, and Rusty gave it to me, and I was like, oh, my God, this is— Either gonna be cathartic or kill me, but I'm going to play this damn yeah. role. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, for a great for a great playwright who had a lot of great plays, like you said, it's my favorite of his. It's use of language. He, yeah. he knows those people, and he must have he, such an ear, such an ear for for language and right. dialect. It was. It's, have you seen the opera? I saw parts of it. It was really weird. <laughs> oh, I loved it when it when it, it was it was here at the Keller. Yeah, and I, you know I was already familiar with the play, of course, and I was like, that is a perfect subject. for I an just opera. saw little bits of it on YouTube when I was when I was doing research for the play. Um, what a I mean, there are roles that you play in your life that, like we talked about cabaret, I could do the MC every day for the rest of my life if people would and pay me for that, that to be my job because that was fun. I mean, even though it had some really difficult struggling moments in it um it was fun playing eddie carboni in a view from the bridge was a kind of theatrical masochism that i never yeah. want to go through again yeah i was exhausted every night sure. after that play yeah that's, um, that's an intense one yeah i mm. yeah i'll think twice before i take on something of that magnitude again well you should definitely do that though yeah <laughs> uh, so what's your next song you got for us from under the influence there's, Let's do it for there's sure. a song called The Routine that uh, the MC sings at the end of Act One. It has a funny monologue that leads into it. We can just play the song because um, this is me singing that also. I'm not playing piano on this one, though. I'm not this good of a piano player. My friend Doug Hammer played on this, and he's amazing. 
So he winked a handsome eye So he told a little lie So he left you high and dry It's nothing new Now you linger at the bar Eating olives from the jar And feeling blue How can you say that this was unforeseen? By now you should be used to the routine. So you tried to play it cool, but he played you for a fool. Now you sit there at your stool and sing the blues. You've only got yourself to blame Don't know why you'd play a game You always lose Every evening it's the same sad scene By now you should be used to the routine Men are cads, men are heels Men are scum, men are vermin You spout your sermon as you sit and sip your gin Men are base, men are beasts Men are brutes, men are vile Yet you smile at every man that wanders in With that desperate grin Then you shout out, life's a bore And you stumble across the floor And they pour you out the door and out of sight Meanwhile, back inside the staff, well, they got a hearty laugh again tonight. They're not laughing to be mean. They've just gotten used to the routine. Kind of a torch song, kind of. Yeah, in fact, it just occurred to me. I'm playing the literally the only song in Under the Influence that isn't funny. Right, <laughs> right. That's it. <laughs> right. Everybody's gonna be listening and they're like, "I thought you guys said that show was funny." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it does capture a certain essence that uh, that that uh, you know that's a section in that show called Alcohol, and it 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 tracks Anita at age 20 to age 40 to age 60. Age 20 is a song about beer. Age uh, 40 is a song about wine tasting. Age 60 is a song about liquor. Yeah. And when I saw that show, it was at the Funhouse Lounge. Yeah. And you was- saw the original version. Uh, that whole alcohol section was new. We had this song in it when you saw it. I wrote a whole new section to expand the whole alcohol piece to make it a true two-act show. Um, and the wine tasting number is one of my favorite new things. Uh, I wish I had that on record. I would have played it for you. Yeah. Just if you're, <laughs> if you're not in Portland, the Funhouse Lounge is an actual bar yeah. that just has a performance Space in it, yes. Like a, this this uh, small little. It's a gr- it was a great venue for that show. Yeah. yeah, and they also have the creepiest clown room. Uh, they had the creepiest <laughs> clown room. They certainly do. That's exactly right. It's definitely a Portland uh, Portland staple. Yeah, that room is something. That's the room where you go mad in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh huh. Um, so your last song mm-hmm. uh, is um, the one that you sent me. 
Oh yeah, yeah. We didn't talk about one big one by one big irony about moving to Portland, though. And I wanted to tell you. The Please story. tell me about your one big <laughs> irony moving to Portland. So when I was in New York and I had joined that group in like 2003, I think it was, and I've been writing for years and years. And then nothing. I wrote with these people, those people wrote my own stuff. I had some cabaret stuff going on, but nothing was really landing for me. And then my I was working and I got promoted and I started. Working all the time, and from about 2010 to two, or earlier 2009 to 2014, I just stopped. I gave up on writing, and I, and this is a truism for me: artists don't create art because they like to create art. They create art because to not create art is death. And I got to a point in about 2014 where I was borderline suicidal because I wasn't. I wasn't expressing myself anymore. I had given up on all that, um, and we needed a change. We sold our condo. We moved to Portland. The day, the day we moved into our house in oh, Portland, right. yeah. <laughs> surrounded by boxes, the truck literally driving down the street. I got a phone call from Barbara Anselmi in New York, who I had written some stuff with back in 2006. And she said to me, hey, Ernie, remember that, that show, The Wedding Project, that we were working on? And you wrote those two songs for him? I'm like, yeah. She goes, we open on Broadway next spring. <laughs> wow. I was like, I just left. Wow. <laughs> and it was interesting, though, because after nine months in Portland, I went to New York. Dream come true, sitting in a Broadway house, Tyne Daly singing a song I wrote on a Broadway stage. Right. I could not wait to get out of New York City. Is that I, right? I lost my, I lost my ability to, to exist there comfortably. Being here, I was so much calmer. And the, 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 I, yeah, I, I, I. I don't think I could live there again at this point. Sure. But I still want to get a show there. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go yeah. live there temporarily. <laughs> That's hilarious, though. <laughs> yeah, I know. The yeah, irony of that was uh, – As soon as you arrive here, right. And it turned out um, – and it, what, what an amazing experience because in the summer of 2015, that show was running. It was a and what show, show was that again? It was called It Should Have Been You. It Should Have Been You. Yeah, David High Paris directed. Tyne Daly was uh, one of the leads. Um, in 2015, the summer when gay marriage was finally – uh, federalized the, the show we had on Broadway was a show about gay marriage, so it felt. I felt for a moment I was like part of something, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, um, and and you were. Yeah, no, it was, it was zeitgeist. It was it was an, it was nice. What 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 a what a thrill! Hopefully, I get to feel that someday again. <laughs> Whew, anyway, uh, so give me some context for this last song. This last song. Uh, oh, this is, this is from an al- is this from an album? This is from my last album, Better Days. Uh, it's called uh, Dance with the Devil. This song. There was uh, something going on in Boston called Burn the Floor. It was a big fundraiser, and a singer came to me and said, "I want to, I want a uh, swing, uh, a swing song." to play at this event. We had a big band going. So I wrote the song for her and I spent like all week recording it and I gave it to her and she goes, nah, I don't like it. <laughs> but it ended up on my album and now this probably is close to my most commonly done song. I mean, a lot of jazz singers have my stuff all over the place, but this song, a lot, a lot of different jazz singers sing this now. And um, yeah, anyway, it's called Dance with the Devil. All right, Great. Saturday night, it's a hot new swing club, heard the bands on sight. The jaw was jumping, the rhythms were tight. I just wanted to dance. You were on vacation from the damned and the dead. Your pinstripe suit suit hid your bright shade of red. 
You want a fedora to cover the horns on your head Cause you just wanted to dance It was a strange situation, weird circumstance Odd combination of fear and romance Under the moonlight, you asked me to dance And when I gave in to my demon desire We set the floor on fire Set the floor on fire Cat on the trumpet, he was climbing the scale. You cloven hooves are really blazing a trail. I was shaking a leg, you were shaking your tail. We just wanted to dance. The other dancers started crowding the floor. That's when you showed me what the pitchfork was for. When the dance was over, I was begging for more. Cause I just wanted to dance. It was a strange situation. Weird circumstance, an odd combination of fear and romance. Under the moonlight, you asked me to dance, and when I gave into my demon desire, we set the floor on fire. Set the floor on fire. So lose yourself in the music, but don't lose control. You dance with the devil, well, you might just lose your soul. Your Fun piece. Yeah, I like that one. That's yeah, the, real yeah, fun to sing live. Right. We did it at my birthday show, and uh, um, Kate Murr sang. I played guitar, and she she sang, and it was it was really fun. Kate sang that. Yeah. <laughs> she did a much more uh, folksy version of it. And I, I, bet I, it would I just be, yeah. played it lightly on guitar. Yeah, for coffee house, yeah. with Kate. Right? <laughs> well, Ernie, it has certainly been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks. You so know, much. Um, and thank you for sharing your fantastic music. Uh, good luck in all your endeavors. Thanks. Um, and maybe one day we'll have you back on here singing live. Yeah. That's, that's Ernie LaJoy, <laughs> and I am Bobby Bermea, and this is Community Profile, voices from the real world, real people telling their real stories. Thank you for joining us. And that is it for this edition of Voices from the Real World. Voices from the Real World was put together by the creative team of Jamie M. Ray, Lion Producer, Robert A. K. Gagno, Sound Engineer, Rodolfo Ortega, Composer, and was recorded at the Willamette Radio Workshop in Portland, Oregon. 
which exists on the traditional lands of Multnomah, Kaflamet, Clackamas, Tumwater, and Malala bands of the Chinook peoples, the Tualatin band of the Kalapuya peoples, and many other tribes who made their homes along the Columbia River. We acknowledge and honor the ancestors and survivors of this place and recognize that we are here because of the sacrifices forced upon them, and we honor their descendants who live on. And I am Bobby Bemea, and this is Community Profile, voices from the real world, real people telling their real stories. Thank you for joining us. For more information about Community Profile or Profile Theater, go to profiletheater.org slash community profile. To hear more podcasts, go to profiletheater.org slash on air, where you'll find other episodes of Voices from the Real World. If you have feedback or suggestions for me, I'm taking all comers. Write me at bobbyb at profiletheater.org. One love and peace out.